0: Welcome to the Play Like a Girl podcast, one of the new shows for SB Nation's Ohio State site, Land Grant Holy Land. We talk all things Ohio State football and talk to and about other women in Buckeye Athletics and beyond. I'm your host, Tia Williams.
1: And I'm your other host, Meredith Hine.
0: You can follow me at Tia Williams, that's Tia with three A's, Meredith at Meredith Hine, and of course the site at Land Grant 33
1: on Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning into Episode 7. It's just Tia and I today, but we have a lot of great stuff planned for you. We sure do. On the agenda today,
0: we'll be discussing Ryan Day's coaching techniques, overcoming imposter syndrome, and of course, what's currently trending for women in sports. So with that, we're just going to jump right in. Uh, Meredith, on College Game Day two weeks ago, they talked to Ryan Day about his nurturing coaching style. In other words, he inspires his players to be their best as opposed to scaring them or pressuring them into playing well, kind of like this or else mentality. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, one thing that I found really interesting was they kept comparing and it wasn't just discussing Ryan Day. This actually came up several times in the last couple of weeks. Um, But, you know, this nurturing mentality versus what they call like the fourth and one mentality, like this is the all or nothing, like this is when you have to show up or like you said, or else you lose the game or else you lose the possession. Um, And I just thought it's a really interesting shift. Um, And, you know, you oftentimes hear older generations call millennials soft, but um, really, you know, you're having not even millennials anymore, you're having Gen Z come up in college Um, And those are the players that Ryan Day and everyone else is coaching. Um, And so I'm really impressed with Ryan Day being able to adjust his coaching style, not to soft millennials, because I don't think millennials are soft or Gen Z is soft, but to players who respond differently and who have different motivations. Yeah,
0: for sure. I feel like that coaching technique of like scaring players into doing better only works for A few players and especially as more and more come out about their mental health and stuff like that I mean you can only go so far until you just absolutely break them and I actually did an article not that long ago um this has been a topic like you said for pretty much the whole season especially about Ryan Day and how his coaching style is different from Urban Meyer and Um, basically he said, I don't know if this was in a press conference or an interview with Cleveland.com, but he said he wants these guys to play free. He wants them to play without anything in the back of their mind, telling them to have that anxiety. And he just wants them to be confident. And if, if there's an issue, you know, he'll, he'll be tough. But I, I love that new mentality.
1: Yeah. And I love that you brought up the importance of the mental health aspect of this, you know, in previous generations mental health is so stigmatized and it's so hard for people to talk about problems that they have when really one out of four Americans suffers from a mental health disorder, um, including depression and anxiety, um, and things like this that, you know, are just as common among, you know, football players as they're among the rest of the population. Um, and so when you have a coach who's able to encourage that positive, um, mental health and that positive self image, um, it really stops that cycle and it stops that stigma from perpetuating, you know, because these players are going to be coaches themselves someday. And you want them to be able to treat their players with the same respect that Ryan Day has clearly shown even just through a few games. Yeah, and
0: they they know that it's a high-pressure game
1: they don't need to be told it again yeah and
0: they don't need to be scared every time they go into the locker room and I get that it works I mean you obviously have Urban Meyer and Saban um and actually when this was brought up I actually thought about Kevin Wilson who's on our coaching staff and he was in the media I think in 2017 because um He was the head coach for Indiana, and all these players came out and said he was verbally abusing them. But then Urban Meyer was like, well, I'll take him. (laughs) I'm just like, I was real freaked out about that hire. I'm like, do we want this
1: guy? Totally agree. And, you know, not that it's the same thing in that sense, but you have Greg Shiano who sort of has that black mark on him as well. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know him being on the staff, but clearly not being able to find another head coaching job, sort of because of those indictments in his past as well. But Tia, one question that I have for you is: as you get coaches like Ryan Day, who are so you know sensitive to their players' mental and emotional needs, and who are still able to demonstrate a high level of success even with that, we're going to say softer approach. What does that do for? I'm going to call someone out real quick, the Brian <laughs> Kellys of the world who are clearly seen to be screaming at their players on the sidelines every game. What does that do for recruiting in the future? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I think guys are going to gravitate towards
0: Ryan Day. I mean, they're gravitating towards Dabo, and he has that same reputation as not being this scary big man, you know? So I think guys are going to see that coach screaming at his players on the sideline and be like, why would I want to
1: play for you? (laughs) I have the same feeling. I think that hopefully in the future, we see more and more coaches like this. And we see maybe this cultural shift throughout college football that really helps the environment to become safer, uh, both mentally and physically overall. But one thing that I want to move on and discuss, uh, also related a little bit to mental health and, you know, personal satisfaction is imposter syndrome. So you mentioned at the start of the show that we're going to be bringing this up. And it is something that if you are aware or not, we've been touching on in previous shows as well. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to bring it up explicitly today. So if you don't know, um, imposter syndrome is a essentially a syndrome when women especially feel that they don't necessarily belong in the environments that they've earned their spot in. So you see it a lot with female executives or female in male dominant women in male dominated environments, they just don't feel like they belong. And this concept was really popularized with Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, where she was able to discuss her own experience with imposter syndrome. And if I need to tell you who Sheryl Sandberg is. She is a very important executive in Silicon Valley. She has had experience with Google and Facebook. She had the opportunity for the top job at Uber and turned it down. She's a big deal. She's a total badass. But Tia, I got to say that, you know, as as I was thinking about imposter syndrome, it seems very obvious that that's kind of what we've been talking about and what we have been experiencing in sports as women
0: oh for sure and uh cheryl talks about it in tech because that is just i mean it's worse than sports in that realm it's completely men so i feel like she all the points that she brought up all women in sports can absolutely relate she actually talks about this time where she she had a meeting with the treasury secretary of facebook with all the executives of facebook and and the women in the room like sat off to the side and they didn't sit at the table and she kept waving them over to the table and they just, they were like, oh no, I'm fine, I can sit here. That was just a natural thing that these women did. They just sat off to the side instead of with the men at the table. And she then touches on imposter syndrome and how these women didn't feel like they deserved a seat at the table, no pun intended. So then she goes on to basically say... In order to overcome that, you just have to keep telling yourself, I am an executive in the Silicon Valley. Why can't I sit at the table? Or I basically fake it till you make it if you don't actually believe in yourself yet.
1: And I think that one of our guests a few weeks ago highlighted this really well. Um, Her advice to um, our listeners who aspire to some sort of career in sports was, you know, do what you're comfortable with. Like, find what you're passionate about. And do that. Like, don't try to pretend to be a stats expert if you're not a stats expert. But I think that for women, we often feel like we need to be the stats expert and we need to be the expert on program history. And we need to understand, you know, blocking schemes to be able to have any sort of conversation when really like only one of those things is something you care about. Like, that should really be enough for you and you should be satisfied with that.
0: Yeah. She even quotes in her book, she says, okay, so all a woman has to do is ignore society's expectations, be ambitious, sit at the table, work hard, and then it's smooth sailing all the way. What could possibly go wrong? And it's so true. (laughs) It's like, it's like that. Across the board, you have to, you just feel like you have to do more in order to prove yourself and to feel like you actually belong there. And she, she talks about more experiences. It's not just in tech, but like, and I'm sure all women can relate and maybe some men, but I think it definitely is more prevalent with, for women. But she said she'd raise her hand in class and then instantly she'd be like, oh, I'm about to embarrass myself. Or she would put an answer to a test and she's like, oh, that's going to be wrong And she's like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I always feel like I don't deserve this or I can't do something? And so for – if you're, like, the only woman in a press conference and you're raising your hand to ask, you know, the head coach of Ohio State a question, I'm sure – the first instinct for a woman is
1: like, Oh, should I ask this? Or is everyone going to be making fun of me later? I agree. But, um, you know, Cheryl talks about a lot of techniques, as you mentioned, to overcome the imposter syndrome and just be able to like get out there and do it. And one of the key um, pieces is being able to see other successful women in that field that you want to be and you know, being able to have those women as advocates, even just in your own mind and being able to say, you know, she belongs here. And like, I can see myself belonging here. And Tia, yeah, I know you mentioned, or you discussed this on the show a couple weeks ago, um, but that new ESPN ad that highlights both male and female superstar athletes when it talks about the importance of sports overall. Uh, and I think that that's a great way for women to feel drawn in and feel like they belong in sports when you have that representation in the media. Yes. It's the
0: Facebook ad with the dads taking their daughters to baseball games. I mean, for a little girl to be watching that, or any woman to be watching that, and see that, oh, you can like sports, or oh, it's normal to like sports, then the imposter syndrome may not even occur later in life because they saw that that is a normal thing. And I that's another thing that I'm sure sparks it is men are so used to seeing themselves in these prominent roles. So why should they feel like they don't belong? And so yeah, it all starts at the media. It starts with covering women's sports. It starts with women covering sports. You just have to have that.
1: I just think it's so so cool that there is both this ESPN ad and there's this Facebook ad. And I mean, I stream all of my sports. So I guess I get the same rotation of commercials. But these have been the two that have popped up the most for me as I've been watching, especially college football this season. And it's so cool to me that, you know, this like this is the volume, like this is the reach and this is the frequency um, that we're getting in terms of advertisements. are ads that are featuring a diverse audience and or, sorry, a diverse representation on camera. And that includes women. So I just I'm really excited by this prospect and hopefully it continues I feel like women in
0: sports are trending quite a bit, and I don't know if that's just because of who I personally follow on Twitter, but we will talk about that after this quick ad break. So a few shows back, if you remember, we talked about that Kent State field hockey game, which was called early. It had gone into overtime, and it was called so that the men's football pregame game Noon fireworks could start on time, and so noon
1: fireworks. Noon. Noon. We really want to
0: hammer that home. (laughs) It was daylight. Oh, darkness. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, we have an update. I actually, I saw this on Twitter, and my jaw dropped because I just wholeheartedly disagree. But the Kent State president, he announced that an internal investigation, in other words, Kent State investigated themselves found no Title IX violations or gender-related bias regarding the incident. And I just think that's a bunch of crap. (laughs) What do you think?
1: So I'm not a lawyer. I wish we had our guest from last. Yeah, we need Kelsey back. (laughs) Um, To be able to talk about, you know, the specific Title IX implications of that. But to me, it's not, even if it's not a Title IX issue, like, don't bring the law into this. You should just feel icky about what your institution did. And I was actually reading the article on cleveland.com that talked about this investigation. And, you know, I was scrolling through and feeling pretty good. They're doing a lot of things. They did the investigation. They're bringing it to the NCAA later this year to discuss in the rules. Uh, They're reviewing their schedule to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And, you know, I'm feeling like, okay, this is too little, too late, but you're doing something at least. And then I got to the very end. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be clear, Kent State was not playing in this field hockey match. Uh, It was two other schools. It was, what was it, the University of Maine. And I believe it was their president or athletic director who came out and said, you know, they didn't actually interview any of the players on the field who were affected in this internal investigation. And then I was sitting there scratching my head, thinking to myself, like, how can you possibly get the full story if you don't talk to the people who you hurt in this scenario, yeah, it was like an overtime game.
0: Like these women are double overtime. on fire, right? Yeah. And if you They're cancel a double overtime game, I mean, when everybody is on the edges of their seats, these athletes would have been livid. And yeah, like you said, so the last athletic director went on to say. Kent State is writing this off to poor game management, and that is too simplistic of a view to capture what really happened.
1: Cannot see them doing the same thing to a football game. And what just bothers me so much is: would it have really been that big of a deal if they said, you know, hey guys, like, we're so sorry, we can't have our pregame fireworks today, like, yeah. and just played the game? Right. And is it
0: really did you that see? Big of a-
1: in the article, like it says can- they
0: did it before. In 2016, they canceled the fireworks. They had, like, the same situation.
1: And, I mean, you, you cancel fireworks for all sorts of things, for what, like for inclement weather or, you know, for safety reasons, if there's, like, people in the area. So why couldn't you just cancel them again? It's really <laughs> – again, they were fireworks at noon. Is anyone really going to notice if they're not there?
0: Yeah. And the um. first time I saw this story, I thought it was to – it was so that the football da- football game could start on time. But then I I like clicked on the link and I was like, oh, the fireworks. Okay,
1: it's not not a good look for Kent State. Um, and you know, I mentioned this before in terms of Ryan Day's coaching style and recruiting. But like, I imagine, and I sort of hope that these schools that are struggling to demonstrate gender equality on the athletic fields are gonna struggle to fill their rosters and i hope that prospective student athletes respond with their commitment and decide to play for teams that will actually value them i think ohio state does a pretty good job with that Um, i think so too well we saw it yesterday on sunday with uh women's volleyball yeah they sold out the cavelli center Uh, yeah first of all uh to your previous point ohio state athletics Uh, has always massively invested even in traditionally non-revenue sports. They built the new Cavalli Center this year as a home for men's and women's volleyball as well as wrestling and some other sports. And women's volleyball sold out all 4,000 seats in the Cavalli Center for their match on Sunday. Amazing. I really
0: want to go see a game there. It looked amazing.
1: If you are interested in Ohio State athletics and supporting the women there, we also have some big matchups this weekend. The eighth-ranked women's ice hockey team, which is 4-0 right now through two weeks uh, in the season, um, is actually playing number one Wisconsin this weekend um, in a two-game series over the weekend, Uh, so be sure to check out those games. And then the 15th-ranked, speaking of field hockey, the (laughs) 15th-ranked Ohio State women's field hockey team. Is facing Michigan this weekend as well. Mm. So let's support our field hockey team much more than Kent State supports (laughs) theirs. Love it. All right, guys,
0: that's all we have for today. As always, you can follow me at Tia AA Williams, Meredith at Meredith Hine, and the site at Land Grant 33. We'll be back next Thursday and every Thursday after that with new shows. Thanks again for listening to Play Like a Girl. And as always, go Bucks.
1: Go Bucks.